Welcome to this podcast of the Sunday Message from Hope Gateway, a United Methodist community in Portland, Maine. If you live locally, we'd love to have you join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. Visit our website at www.hopegateway.com to learn more. But whether you live near or far, we hope you find this message to be meaningful. Wherever you are, join us in doing justice, loving kindness, and walking humbly with God. last week. Oh, perfect. That's the best. So not as much recapping as I feared. Um, so we are galloping our way through the Gospel of Mark. Um, and what I'm really looking forward to and really enjoying about this process is the way that we're just getting a lot of content. We're getting a lot of stories. And we're not going to dig as deep into any one of these moments, but we're trying to let the stories just wash over us and hear them for what they actually say versus what we sort of have layered cultural baggage on top of them. So for all that, we're going to go over, we're going to have three little stories today, all from the second chapter of the book of Mark. And for any of these, we could easily have a whole sermon series. There's just a lot in here. And I think that's also the gift. So there's going to be a lot of questions that are raised And I invite you to just sit with those questions. If you want to talk to me, you want to talk to each other, there's lots of folks that know things in this room. Um, But that's sort of the the journey we're going to be on, is what is is the Gospel of Mark actually saying to us at this time? So the quick recap of what Sarah shared with us last week, Mark doesn't start with Christmas. Mark doesn't start with shepherds. He doesn't start with a manger. He doesn't start with any of that. He starts with a strange guy in the wilderness calling people to repent and to change their lives and get baptized. So it starts with John. Again, everything in Mark is real quick. So a couple verses, a couple verses there. And then Jesus shows up, sort of seemingly out of nowhere, um, and gets baptized. And a voice from above in the shape of a bird says, you're my son, the beloved. And then we're done with that. And then Jesus goes off into the wilderness and is tempted, you know, and then we're done with that. With the animals. With the animals, yep. That's the best part. (laughs) (laughs) And then Jesus calls some fisher folk to be his disciples, and then we're done with that. And then he heals somebody and says, don't tell anybody. That's the whirlwind. All of that happens in chapter number one. So... Now we're in chapter number two. Those of you who have scripts, this is when you can begin to remember where you put them, um, if, you, if you lost them. So just a tiny bit of context before we launch into the first, this first story. In this particular cultural moment where Jesus was operating, um, illness and poverty would have been seen as things that were fault of an individual uh, bad choices and bad behaviors and sin. Again, I think we can imagine a world in which people are blamed for their condition. You know, shocking. Um, And hopefully, but I think some of us still come from this context, illness is seen in that way too. So people's illnesses would also have been seen as because of their, their individual sin. 
And the way out of sin and the way out to get forgiveness would have been a process that would have involved repentance and sacrifice. And sacrifice would have involved buying something. It would have involved some money. And so then you, it's really easy to draw that line between poor people. You're, you, you're poor, you, made, you supposedly made a bad choice, so you're poor, so you're sick, so you need money, but you don't have any money, so you stay poor and sick. And so that's the context. You're going to hear Jesus talking about forgiveness and sort of changing that paradigm of forgiveness. And just know that money is not separate from that process. And he's talking to really poor people. So. A few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come to a home. I'm going to pause you for one second. And I just won't do this too often, I promise. When he says home, I think at least I read this coming from my Midwestern sort of middle class background. Home seems very like a house, like a nice, respectable home that we can, and we know it's probably not like homes that we live in, but like, you know, the appropriate home with the equivalent of a garage of first century Palestine. I want you to, so you might think, you know, like this, like a nice home, you know, with a two stories and some windows, or you might think like a giant Roman home, <laughs> that would be nice. The word he's using, and we are not deep diving into any Greek on any promise, because that's not my background either, um, but he means, the home used probably means more like shack home, like it's, the word that's used means poor person's home, and so this will be relevant because they're digging through a roof. You don't dig through a roof unless the roof is of a material that one can dig through. So, so he's, this, he's, oh boy. he's situating himself from the very beginning of this story as talking to people from very humble means and in really humble conditions. So keep going, sorry. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing him to a paralyzed man, carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening <coughs> in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. When Jesus saw their faith, he, had set, he said to the paralyzed man, Son, your son's off of you. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there, thinking to themselves, Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. He can forgive sins, but God alone. Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts, and he said to them, Why are you thinking your sins? Which is easier to save with his paralyzed men, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, Take your mat and walk. But what you want to know, that if the son of the man has authority of God, he sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, You have never seen anything like this. Everybody can say it. <laughs> Everybody thinks it. What I, in my highlighting, um, 
What I like is it says everyone. It doesn't say who the everyone is. I like to imagine that the teachers are included in that everyone, um, that, that this would have been a sort of community being like, wait, we thought there were these rules. We thought that that's how forgiveness worked, that it was transactional, and that we're seeing in front of our eyes by this person standing up that clearly it's not transactional in the way that we thought it was. So I think this text sometimes has been used as a way to, um, again, not hopefully in our backgrounds, but I think from some of us maybe, this has been used as a way to think about in other people who are sick or people who have disabilities. So if your faith will make you well, therefore if you're not well, let's, what's that mean about your faith? And I, clearly, I wouldn't be standing where I'm standing if I thought that that was what, what Jesus was saying. Um, to me, what's amazing about this story and what will be true in the other stories that we're going to look at this morning is I think Jesus is saying that there's rules in the systems that we're a part of and that those rules have certain requirements and that this is what is done and that there is some bigger story about love and about forgiveness and about inclusion that transcends those individual rules. That makes sense? So now we're going to keep on galloping um, as Mark is wont to do, to our next story. Once again, Jesus went outside beside the lake. A large crowd came to him, and he began to teach them. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting in the ta- at the tax collector's booth. Follow him. Jesus told him, and Levi got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were eating with him and with his disciples, for there were many who followed him. When the teachers of the law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said to them, It's not the healthy who needs the workbook, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous. So, the question here to me is who are the tax collectors and who are the sinners? Anybody have ideas for tax collectors? They collect taxes. Yeah. <laughs> what are you going to say? <laughs> yep. So there's sort of like a, we know it's the government, it's the IRS, or sort of the equivalent. Absolutely, and the tax collectors would have also been seen as both collaborators with the Roman authority and impure in the system of religious law. So we were talking about this between the services this morning. There, the tax collector, you know, the head tax collector, is hired by the Roman authority to tax goods and services as they cross the borders. And then that tax collector hires, like, subcontractor tax collectors that are ones that are actually like on the side of the road, you know, looking at what you have and taking money. There's a sense that those tax collectors were kind of free. They had a bare minimum that they had to get to give to Rome. Then they could kind of take whatever they wanted on top of that. that and that some of that would have been needed to live on, but some of that was just taking money. Um, and that probably the Levi, the tax collector, he's not the like head tax collector. He's one of these like subcontractor 
tax collectors, the peons of this system, and who's probably not making a lot of money on this. This is sort of a low rung in the hierarchy. For me, and the reason I'm talking about Levi before I'm talking about the tax collectors, is I think this actually, Levi counters a lot of what I wish Jesus were saying. So if we're talking about what Jesus the radical means and that Jesus the radical is pushing all of our boundaries, I want Jesus to condemn everybody who is associated with Roman authority. That would be really great for me, <laughs> to keep things that simple. And that anybody on the sort of team empire, all bad. And that everybody on team anti-empire, all good. And that Jesus would help me with that nice, clean boundary. Jesus is not helping us having those nice, clean boundaries this week. So Levi, I was trying to think of like what the modern context, sort of what a, a, that kind, not, so it's not just IRS. But can you think of what a kind of job would be like that, sort of a low rung? Like a town tax collector. It could be sort of a ticket giver. Yeah, the, the ticket giver on the street, a parking meter ticket person. Other ideas? Toll booth. Toll booth? Let's get away from just money. I'm thinking of like the person who answers the phone at an ICE office, or the person who, the lowest rung in some sort of prison system, or just like the people on the bottom rung of the imperial system that we live in. Again, I would love to write everybody else. Like, I, I want nice, clean lines. Yeah, military, or even the sort of folks who sign up and are actually in the military. Like, and the, but Jesus is not giving us the out of saying that anybody who is, is outside of sort of a pure line of work in our progressive understanding of purity, um, Jesus is having dinner with them too. And in having dinner with Levi, because Levi would have also been considered impure, Jesus is then positioning himself as also impure. Because um, in associating with people, he's impure. And then who are the sinners? Again, the church history would like us to make all the sinners into like uh, morality sinners. And it could be that. These could be adulterers and who knows what. It's also possible they're just the people that, some people think they're Gentiles, people who didn't follow the law. It also could be that these are people who've committed crimes. They're, who knows? Um, but they're people, again, that are outside of the boundaries of who is considered proper by religious authorities. Again, I, I can certainly imagine who is seen as outside the bounds of proper by religious authorities. Some of us have been considered outside the bounds of proper by religious authorities. That's a live question um, in church communities right now. And it seems like Jesus is pretty clear where he stands on associating with people being perceived as outside the bounds of pure by religious authorities. So again, we could stay on this one for the whole sermon series, but we're going to keep going. Um, I think it raises some really interesting questions. What I love is, again, as I've been digging into Mark, I've realized how many of my images with biblical stories Again, I don't, I'm not an art historian, but I still have like Renaissance art in my head when I imagine these stories. These, the stories are not actually about Renaissance painters or the people that Renaissance painters were painting. 
Um, so this is probably much more like what it might have looked like. So one more story, my readers. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields, and as his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The Pharisees said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? He answered, As we can believe what they believe when he and his companion were angry and believed. In the days of Adithor, in high place, they entered the house of God and ate the sacrament of bread, which was the only place to eat. And he also gave some to his companion. And he said to them, The Sabbath was meant for men, not for men for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of, even of the Sabbath. So what's going on here? So this story starts with Jesus walking through the grain fields with his disciples, and it's Sabbath, and they're picking grains. Why would you pick grains from a random field on the Sabbath? It could be that it's harvest time. I also think it's probably that they're hungry. If you had other grain in your pocket, and you had a grain silo back at your house with lots of grain in it, you wouldn't need to pick these random people's grain on the Sabbath because you already had some. So this whole positioning of this story is telling us that these are people without resources. Um, these are people who didn't have anything, anything with them or back at home, if they even had a home. Um, so these are folks that don't have anything. They're walking through a field, and they start picking some grain. The law was set up at that time that if they had walked through a stranger's field and tried to pick grain on a Tuesday, it would have been totally fine. Because <laughs> um, there was a sense in the law that caring for wandering people was important and that gleaning would have been fine. So it's not that they're stealing in the way that we would think sort of walking through a field would be a problem. It's not that they're walking through the field and taking the grain that's a problem. It's what day of the week they're walking through and taking the grain that's the problem. And so he says, we've, done this, we've gone around this block before. There has been another occasion in our history when David also broke a, religious, a seemingly sort of religious line in order to eat some bread because he and his folks were hungry. And that was fine. Therefore, this should be fine too. To me, what's really important about this story, as we think about sort of that, how we interact with systems, how we think about boundaries, is that Jesus is saying that the, the law had a purpose, and that purpose was to care for the poor. That purpose was to care for people and care for creation. It wasn't about sort of separating people and keeping people out. Because if, if, the, if the authorities are right and that they shouldn't be allowed to take this grain, then there isn't any other food. It's not like there's another plant. They're not saying, don't eat that grain, but here, I have some bread for you. They're saying, don't have the grain. And so I think what Jesus is saying is you're missing the point of the law. That the point of the law isn't to keep people out and to keep people hungry and keep people poor. It's to provide for people, and I would say to provide for creation. That this is sort of zooming way out beyond these little specific boundaries that Jesus is looking at. Um, 
So in this whole system, this, these three stories, and we're going to hear a lot more because Jesus keeps talking about it. Jesus is thinking about religious authority and how he places himself with and against religious authority at the same time. To me, what's really important is that a lot of these stories have been read as anti-Jewish throughout the history of the Christian church. I want to make sure we name that. And I think this last verse gives us some sort of proof that he doesn't mean it that way. It doesn't have to be anti-Jewish. It doesn't need to be read that way. So he doesn't... No, it's the last verse of the last story, which I'm not going to click back to. But he says it in this one, too. But he's not here to cure... Remember in the the story number two, he said, I'm not here for the righteous. I'm here for the sick. He doesn't say working for the righteous is bad and that you should stop doing it. Um, He's just saying that's not who I'm called to serve. And in this one, he's saying Sabbath is made for man. He's not saying Sabbath is terrible. You should give up your Sabbath practice. (laughs) You should abandon everything you're doing. He's assuming that Sabbath practice is still going to be a thing. You just need to shift how you think about and how you interact with those practices. So again, I think that raises a lot of questions, certainly. I want to dig into what son of man means. I want to dig into a lot of these phrases. I'd invite you, hopefully, if you're on our email list, you'll have gotten these texts in your inbox so you can take a look a little more deeply um, and see what questions it raises for you. But I do think it's clear that the Jesus we're meeting here, who is certainly not the Jesus I met in my childhood, it's not the Jesus I see on the Hallmark Channel, it's not the Jesus that we sort of encounter in popular culture, but this is a Jesus that doesn't believe in boundaries, and he believes in crossing boundaries, and he believes in inclusion, and he believes in love over rules. Um, And that's what I'm carrying with me this week. So let us pray. Jesus healed indiscriminately. Jesus threw out boundaries of who was worthy. Jesus reminded people that God wants all creation to thrive. God, God, remind us of these things this week, that all, really all, are inside God's bounds of love, and God craves for all people and all the world to thrive. Guide our feet this week as we continue to learn to follow this radical Jesus. Amen.